This week is part two of our two-part series on riding in extreme conditions. And today we're going to talk about riding in the cold and riding in the heat. I'm Jim Martin. This is Adventure Rider Radio. Stay with us. we got a good one for you. Max BMW Motorcycles has been outfitting adventure riders since 2002. 45,000 parts and accessories available online and ready to ship to your door at maxbmw.com. And you can sign up for their e-rider newsletter too. It's free. maxbmw.com. That's maxbmw.com. Best Rest Products is home of the Cycle Pump Tire Inflator, Tire Iron Bead Breaker, Easy Air Tire Gauge, and other adventure motorcycle gear. Whether you're on the road or off the road, you'll want a compact and reliable tire inflation method. And the Cycle Pump runs right off your bike's electrical system. It'll fill your flat tire in less than three minutes. It's the one we use here at Adventure Rider Radio. It's made in the USA, and it comes with a lifetime warranty. www.cyclepump.com. That's www.cyclepump.com. I'm Sam Manicum. Nick Sanders. Terry Borden. Sandy Borden. Jack Borden. Graham Field. Austin Vince. Jason Spafford. Lisa Murray. David Peterson. Rachel. Ed March. Glenn Hickstead. Dr. Gregory W. Fraser. Dave Barr. Michelle Lampier. Tiffany Coates. Herbert Schwartz. Brett Tatt. Zoe Cano. Nathan Millward. Graham Hoskins. Joe Rock. Jeremy Craker. Simon Thomas. Lisa Thomas. Simon Pavey. Grant Johnson. Robert Witt. Seth Simon. Elizabeth Martin. I'm Carol DeBell, and you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. Green Chili Adventure Gear offers American-made, heavy-duty, innovative luggage systems for all types of motorcycles. Turn any dry bag into motorcycle luggage using their unique strapping system. And of course, Green Chili Adventure Gear is all tested in extreme weather and terrain to withstand the abuse of adventure riding. And that has gained them a top reputation for tough, reliable gear. www.greenchiliadv.com That's www.greenchiliadv.com The MotoBreeze chain oiler is powered by wind pressure that automatically adjusts for speed. No electrical or vacuum connections. It delivers oil to your chain with a felt pad that's mounted on your swing arm, which eliminates the problems of exposed nozzles near your sprockets. Get more miles from your chain and sprockets and forget about the messy spray oil. www.motobreeze.com. That's two eyes in there. www.motobreeze.com. Well, this is part two of our two-part series on extreme riding conditions, dealing with the elements to make our riding safer and more enjoyable. Last week, we talked about wind and rain, and this week, we're going to talk about riding in the cold and riding in the heat. Now, for the cold weather riding, we have Jacques Lukensen, who is a world traveler and extreme rider himself. Jacques has ridden in some of the coldest weather imaginable, and on an unlikely motorcycle, a Yamaha R1, Jacques is going to share some of what he's learned through riding in those extreme cold conditions, uh, and see what is applicable to our regular riding. And for riding in the heat, we have Grant Johnson from Horizons Unlimited. Grant has spent a lifetime living and breathing motorcycles, having been at one time a motorcycle racer, a dealer, a mechanic, a teacher, and, and it sort of goes on from there. He and his wife are both seasoned world travelers by motorcycle. They run Horizons Unlimited, which is the de facto gathering place for motorcycle travelers to, to learn and to share both online and at uh, the well-known and well-attended traveler meets that they hold all over the world. So to kick things off, here is Grant Johnson. Grant, welcome back to Adventure Rider Radio. Hey, thanks, Jim. It's always good to come back and have ch- chat with people. 
Well, it's great to have you on to talk today about riding in the heat. I know you have plenty of experience uh, on the subject, but where do you want to start with this? How does your body work? Understanding why the heat is a problem and how how your body works to keep itself cool. I think that's something that we don't all really understand or don't understand the limitations of where the body, what the body can do and what it can't do. Because that's really what we're dealing with, isn't it? When it comes to riding in the heat, um, you and I had talked before about motorcycles and, and motorcycles are, are quite durable. They'll, they'll take a lot of extremes. Yeah, the bikes are generally pretty good. Um, any modern motorcycle will deal with any reasonable temperature, like anything over 120 Fahrenheit, 150 degrees Celsius, anything up to there, any modern motorcycle will be just fine as long as you're not trying to do something silly like ride it flat out across the desert, um, keep moderate speeds, keep it well maintained, uh, make sure it's in good condition, and there shouldn't be any issues at all. Well, just before we jump into talking about the body and how our bodies cool, how we deal with that, let's just just touch on the bike a little bit more here. So what about things like tires, air-cooled bikes, things like that? Air-cooled bikes are fine as long as you keep the speed up to a reasonable amount. Running at over 100 miles an hour, 160 kilometers an hour is probably not a good idea when it's stinking hot. Um, Be reasonable with it, but also don't sit in traffic. That's the worst thing you can do with an air-cooled bike. Sitting in traffic is going to really heat it up fast and a lot, and you're better off to cruise down a side road, take another route, just get some airflow over it. Just stopping the bike is actually a bad idea when it's really, really hot. It's better to run it at a moderate speed with lots of airflow, low load. Most of the air-cooled bikes don't have uh, temperature gauges, do they? No. In traffic, how long are you going to run? I mean, it depends on the heat. I think that if you've been sitting in traffic for five or ten minutes, your bike is getting to the point where it's, it's in trouble. Ten minutes just sitting, running, very, very, very hot. Don't do that. That's basically all I can say. I mean, a lot of it is feel. Uh, experience with the bike, it'll start to run badly. It may start to run rough. Um, just give it a chance. It's air cooled. It needs to have air flowing over it. You know, even think about a Volkswagen Beetle. Yes, they they do just fine. They got a giant fan. It's, I think about uh, trying to remember about two two and a half feet across. That's blowing air over the engine. I was going to say, Grant, no one knows what a Beetle is anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. But it's true, though. You've got that pancake engine of the Beetle, and then the whole upright piece, that whole piece that covered the width of the engine was, yeah, all the fan mechanism to blow the air around the uh, the cooling fins. And even with that, they had wraparound shrouds on the fans to direct the air around the bottoms of the cylinders. Yeah, very carefully shrouded and routed to make sure that it stayed as well-cooled as you can possibly get it. So it's all about airflow. Keep that bike rolling and it's fine. But uh, most bikes nowadays are liquid-cooled. Uh, is there any precautions? What do we have to worry about with that? Make sure your radiator is working properly. It's clean. Um, make sure your radiator cap has actually been checked or replaced at some point, just like you would with a car. You take your car in in the spring and the mechanic should do a cooling system check to make sure the radiator cap is working correctly. And don't forget to change that radiator fluid annually. That's really important. Um, And that's really about it. And as far as the road goes, can you think of any road hazards that we should be concerned with riding in the heat? I mean, particular to the heat. (laughs) Probably the number one thing is more blown bits of truck tire scattered all over the road. I've also seen uh, where the tar actually melts and you can get 
liquid, semi-liquid blobs of tar. Yeah, that's what I was thinking uh, of. Yeah, and the trucks in really, really hot areas, you can see where they've actually squashed the road down and changed the shape of the road to conform to their tires. I've seen ridges two inches high where the uh, in between the two pair, the two tires on the back of a truck, and there's this giant ridge. You hit that, you're going to be in a lot of trouble. So as far as the bike goes, I mean, we're we're keeping it mechanically sound. We're understanding if if the uh, if it's air cooled, we know the limitations with sitting in traffic. Um, it, that's about all we can do then for the bike. For the bike, pretty much, yeah. Um, if you try and interfere in any way or try and improve the air cooling. I think you're going to probably make things worse. I don't know of any bike today that you can really do anything to improve cooling over the engine. Uh, there's probably somebody out there will say, yeah, well, I know about this and we do this all the time. And sure, I'm sure there's something. But as a general rule, don't mess with it. Make sure it's in good condition, well-tuned, and it should be fine. Okay, so now as far as the rider goes, this is the important part. We're the ones that are vulnerable to the, both the, the heat and the cold and everything when we're on the motorcycle. So yep. we're, we're talking about how the body works as far as heating and cooling. Well, the important thing to understand is that, that we, we cool or exchange heat is, is one better way to put it because we cool and heat um, from in, in four primary ways. There's radiation, just radiating heat out. There's conduction convection and the one that we all know about is evaporative cooling just from our perspiration and those are the main ways we do it and we just have to make sure that we allow the body to exchange heat as needed if it's really cold out there we of course use electric vests and put more stuff on to keep the heat in but uh, in really hot temperatures the main way we cool is with convection air flowing over our body but that only works to a point up to roughly body temperature, in other words, 98.6 or 37 Celsius, up to body temperature, the um, airflow cools our bodies very nicely. But over that temperature, it reverses. Heat flows from the air into our body. So basically, you're talking about just an average hot day. And an average hot day, anything above that, is actually adding to your, your, your increasing your body temperature. Yep. Roughly 98 Fahrenheit or 37 Celsius. Over that, airflow heats us up. It's like sticking your head in a hot oven. See, that's counterintuitive. I know it's counterintuitive. Because you just automatically think you open up your jacket. I mean, you would think on the hottest of hot days, aside from the sun, the best thing you could do is ride with no shirt on because you got the wind blowing over you. Yeah. I've seen guys riding in the desert, a million degrees out, boiling hot, and they're wearing a T-shirt and no helmet and bare hands, bare arms. That's, that's absolutely the wrong approach. You're not only going to get a massive sunburn, which is also the, the heat from the sun in the drying of your skin and the sunburn um, is causes you more issues, but also you are actually increasing your temperature. You are not improving your, your body's condition. You're heating yourself up. Now, we just had a hot here, hot day here on the coast here the other day, and I was riding my bike, and I went in somewhere, and the, the guy said to me, he says, you must be sweating. And I said, well, only when I stop. And I didn't want to yeah. bother to get into it. But the fact is, I was actually cooler wearing my gear um, because we have what? We, we, have the, we have the air blowing on us, plus we've got the sun beating down on us. Yeah, and if you have a little bit of sweat, that means that you're actually evaporating, you're losing heat, and that's great, and the sweat is blown the air is blown onto your sweat and dries you off and increases the cooling effect and that's great up to body temperature 
So what do you do then? You, you start to get a hot day. Is that when you shut your vents on your jacket? Yep. Shut her down. You want a little bit of airflow, just a bit, to keep you feeling, to keep that feel of air blowing because it feels better. The freshness. Uh, but freshness, yeah. You don't want to get that stuffy feeling, especially your helmet. Make sure your helmet's cracked open so you got some airflow in there. Nothing worse than a stinking hot helmet on a really, really hot day with the vents closed. It, you just start to feel like you're suffocating. Um, so make sure you got all the vents in the helmet open because your head does a lot of evaporation. And that's a really major area that your body loses its heat, um, which is great on a hot day because as long as you've got good ventilation, that's great. But just remember in the cold weather, that's also where you lose all your heat and you want to keep your head warm. So it's, it's important to make sure you pay attention to what you're trying to do. For our purposes here talking about lots of heat, you want maximum airflow through your helmet pretty much all the time because no helmet flows so much air that it's going to increase your head temperature significantly. Although I'd always pay attention and just, how's it working here? Um, but for your body, you actually want to close your vents and reduce airflow over your body. What other methods can you use to cool yourself down or, or keep yourself cooler? There's lots of things you can do. Um, for one, you've got to understand that your body is dehydrating. So you've got to drink, 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 drink. You drink a lot. Um, we normally sweat maybe two to four liters in a day. That's kind of normal. But when it's really hot, you've got to, you're going to sweat as much as one and a half liters an hour. Wow. So yeah, that's a massive amount. And I can think of times when I've ridden and just one bottle of water for several hours. That's not even close to enough. You need a big uh, hydration pack on your back and you need to drink steady constantly. That's really important. So um, if you keep imagining to yourself, it's a stinking hot day, one and a half liters an hour. Right. Okay. That's a lot of drinking. So keep that in mind. Um, other than that, there's lots of things you can do to help keep your body cool. Um, evaporative vests, cooling vests. There's lots of really nice stuff out there. Check the bicycles out. They've got some really nice evaporative vests. Very good. Um, there's also some that are specifically for motorcycling. I'm not sure there's a lot of difference, but any of those makes a big difference. But, but that's a vest that you do, just to be clear with that, that's a vest that um, you hydrate or you, you add water to. Yeah. And then the yep. evaporation process cools you down. That's right. It it's, keeps your body damp and that keeps your body cool. As that water evaporates, that cools your body. It's the evaporation of the water off your body that is, gives you the cooling effect. So the more water you can pour over your body, the better. Uh, I remember when we were in the Sinai in, I think it was 1997, it was over 50 degrees in the shade. So I don't know what it was in the sun. I don't want to know. Uh, and we were stopping every half hour, pouring water down our jackets, pouring water over our heads, pouring water into our helmets and soaking the helmet, uh, pouring water over our bodies every half hour. And we went through a lot of water. Uh, it's just anything we could possibly do to keep ourselves cool. And again, with that, when you're using a hydrating vest or even if you're pouring water um, down in, on the inside of your jacket, you're still talking about limited ventilation. You're, you're really keeping things closed up? Yep. Yeah. You want, you want to have a little bit of airflow because you, you're, you've got that water inside. You want to have it, allow it to have somewhere to go. In other words, you need to have an exit for the warm air to get out. So don't close down completely, but you don't want to have a, a full mesh jacket with a wet t-shirt underneath, it's going to feel really good for a few minutes, but overall it's not going to work very well. So you want to block that a little bit. 
And the nice thing about the evaporative vests is in really hot weather, they do block airflow off your body, but you're, um, you're feeling the cool against you and the moisture is evaporating away and you're going to be cooled quite a bit. So they work pretty well. What are you wearing for layers? You know, you were talking about there, your example of riding in the heat. Are you riding with just like a t-shirt underneath or do you have some multiple, multiple layers there? Well, I've said many times to a lot of people that synthetics are the only way to go. But when it's stupid hot, buy yourself a local cheap cotton t-shirt and get that soaking, wringing wet and put that on. That's the best thing underneath a jacket. That's as close as you're going to get to an evaporative vest. And just keep, keep it soaked. Because what the cotton does to you in the, in the cold that you don't want it to do, that's exactly what you want it to do in the heat. Exactly. Any other tips for dealing with the heat inside your body? I mean, do you use any sort of, I remember we talked on Raw about uh, the riding powder. What was it Sam Manicom was saying something about um, the monkey powder or something? Oh, I don't think that was anything about keeping cool. That was for uh, sweat. Right. It was sweat dealing with the heat, though, wasn't it? It was, it was dealing yeah. with that sitting on the, in the saddle all day in the heat when you're sweaty and you're hot. Yeah, I think the same thing goes. You want to, you know, baby powder in the crotch can really work well or anything like that. The monkey butt powder, uh, that helps a lot. Um, cotton underwear is really bad. Even though we were talking about cotton T-shirt, I think for sitting on the wet, that's not going to be nice at the end of the day. You're going to get all kinds of um, sores and irritation from sitting on wet cotton. So since I wear synthetic shorts for riding, for travel. Uh, bicycle shorts is my favorite. Right, because they're, they're designed just for exactly that. What, what about um, as far as sitting on the, like I know a lot of people are sitting on the, the sheepskins. Sheepskins are great when it's stupid hot. You, you think that they would insulate, but they actually allow the air to flow. As where, When you're sitting on a normal seat, there is no airflow because it's a solid layer, two layers stuck together, your leathers, your riding suit or whatever stuck against this solid seat. But with sheepskin, you've got passages for the air to flow and you do feel better. It works quite nice and stinking hot. You mentioned to me before about the difference between temperature and humidity. Can you talk about that? Yeah. The problem that we run into with temperature versus humidity is if it's very, very dry, we, man, we, we are able to evaporate sweat. If it's very, very moist, the sweat doesn't go anywhere because the air is as, as humid or close to as humid as you are. And where you run into trouble is above about 95 degrees Fahrenheit and high humidity, you're in immediate serious risk of problems with heat stroke. It doesn't take a lot. So if you're down to 40% humidity, which is a fairly pleasant uh, level of humidity, you can go up to quite a bit higher temperature before you're in serious trouble. So if you're riding in the desert where it's really dry, high temperatures, not so bad. Not good, but not so bad. But if you're in, in the deep south and uh, where it's extremely humid in the U.S., um, really high temperatures and high humidity, very, very unpleasant to ride in. So if you're riding in a, in a real high heat area, you know, where it's, where it's excessive, like let's say desert riding, are you better off to keep riding or are you better off to stop? Like, like I would think that when you're riding, you've got a bit of the evaporative process. So you've got some slight cooling there from that. But when do you know to get off the bike? That's a, that's a really tough one. If you just stop in the middle of the desert and it's very, very hot, well over body temperature, you're just going to keep getting hotter. So you're probably better off to keep flowing or find, find shade. If you can sit in the shade, 
in those conditions, that's great. If you're overheated, dehydrated, and starting to run into trouble, like you're feeling you're feeling thirsty no matter how much you dry, no, sorry, no matter how much you drink, um, you're starting to get headaches, your breathing goes up, uh, your heartbeat's going up, you're feeling a little dizzy, you're in serious dehydration situation and you need to do something about it quickly, which means get into the shade, open up your jacket, get some airflow over you, um, let that heat out and drink, drink a lot. You could easily drink a couple of liters in half an hour and it'll be good for you. Um, you also may need some salt, something to think about. Um, straight, pure water isn't necessarily the best. Water's great, but you will need some salt as well. Um, things like Gatorade, while I don't personally like them, they actually do work in these conditions. Um, you want to get some rehydrating salts of some kind into your water. I'll often mix fruit juice just a little bit, you know, like a four or five to one water to fruit juice. Uh, gives you a little bit of sugar as well and some salt. Tomato juice is great that way. Um, just make sure that you're getting enough water. And you mentioned before about carrying water on your back, making it easily accessible. That It's probably wise to have some sort of um, dromedary bag, you know, the, like the ones you get for cycling, for instance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I always carry a bag. If I'm riding solo, I've got it on my back. If When we're riding two up, it sits in a pocket um, to the left on top of the saddlebag and soon just hands me the hose. And we're doing that like constantly, just drink, 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 drink. As soon as you feel a little thirsty, you're way past needing to have drunk. So you, you feeling thirsty means you should have been drinking half an hour ago. And always keep that in mind. One of the ways you can tell is the color of your urine. Oh yeah, the darker it is, the bad, the worse it is. Um, if it's slightly colored yellow, you're in good shape. If it's dark yellow, bad. If it's orange, you're you're almost sending, heading for the hospital. So get lots of water. Keep the color light. Um, if you're not peeing very much, you're not drinking enough either. Um, your skin can feel dry or if you, your skin – and here's a really scary one. If your skin feels flushed, sometimes I've had the experience of my cheeks feel flushed, you're in trouble already. That's bad. Uh, you're definitely not getting enough water. And headaches, if you're getting any sign of a headache or muscle cramping – uh, oh, and an interesting one that I discovered a few years ago was food. If you think you, you want a chocolate bar, hmm, your body actually wants some sugar, glycogen, and uh, also wants some salt. That means that you're dehydrated. Mm-hmm. So instead of reaching for a chocolate bar, it's better off to go for something, um, fruit, vegetables, um, salty snacks, nuts, uh, gorp, stuff like that. That's really good. It's interesting when you talk about this because, you know, you think of heat as a comfort thing, I think, a lot of times. But really what we're talking about here, hydration uh, or dehydration, is the the real problem. Yeah. Uh, Dehydration is so easy. uh, Just about any time you go for a ride, you are dehydrating just by riding along. Your body is working a bit. Um, You are working sitting on the bike. Uh, your body is dehydrating, there's airflow, you've got evaporation, it's a warm day, so you are sweating, you are dehydrating as you ride. Most people, in fact, I would say virtually everybody, doesn't drink enough when we're riding. So drink more, drink more, drink more. What about riding suit color? Would you choose a certain color to avoid uh, the heat? This one drives me nuts. 
there's some really good riding suits out there, but they're black. Yep. My <laughs> most, riding suit. Most is black. suits are black, aren't they? I mean, that's that's the de facto color for motorcycle suits. Black. Yeah, it's cool, man. It yeah. goes back to the black leather jacket days. Makes you um, look slim and, too. Yeah, and it looks very sexy, very cool. <laughs> um, maybe not so cool, but yeah, it looks good. Uh, and also, of course, we we're, we're lazy, right? We don't want to wash our suits every day. Mm. And black and bug juice, not so bad. White and bug juice, yeah, not so good. Mm-hmm. So it's a real issue. Um, but the main thing is rather than worry about the color of the suit, it's more important to make sure you've got adequate airflow when you want it and being able to close it off when you don't want that airflow. Um, a light-colored suit is always going to be better. Uh, if you can get something with light-colored shoulders, that can make a difference. Um, Pure black, if you can avoid it, you get a suit that you like that isn't black, that's great. Makes a difference. Um, same goes for the helmet. Black helmets, not so good. Cool helmets, definitely better. White helmets. White helmets, definitely better. Yeah. And the thing is with helmets is um, a white helmet's better for traffic, for people spotting in traffic. Yep, much more visible. I've, I've seen myself a couple of white spots. And that's it. The bike, the riders are dressed in black, the bike's dark colored, but you see these two white helmets and that stands out. That's really important. Have you ever thought of putting one of those like a painter jackets on, you know, like real thin uh, white, a cheap jacket that you can put on over your black jacket to, you know, fight the heat? On a super hot day? Good mm-hmm. idea. Sure. Anything. You can even put your rain jacket on top. I mean, if you're riding, expecting to ride in hot weather, but not stupidly hot weather, and you're using a mesh jacket, and then all of a sudden it gets really hot, put your rain jacket on. You might be surprised at how much better it feels. Providing it vents somewhat. Yeah, so providing you've got some ventilation. Now, do you do anything with your gloves? Or are you riding with the same gloves? Because you have waterproof gloves. Well, I've got waterproof gloves that I use when it's raining oh, okay. or when it's cold. And then I think that's really important. Um, my normal jacket, my normal gloves that I ride with that I love are gray, not black, and they've got lots of ventilation little scoops and it's uh, perforated leather on the sides of the fingers and stuff. And they're lovely. That makes a big difference. Pure black gloves. Forget it. Any other closing thoughts on this? We've covered pretty much everything. It's the main thing is to make sure that you realize what the temperature is. Is it below body temperature or above body temperature and what you have to do for those two situations and mostly drink more. And you want to keep your, your, your skin covered, so maybe this is a good time to wear a bandana around your neck, those sorts of things. Yeah, yeah, don't let the sun get to you. When it's really hot like that, uh, you don't even know that you're sunburning, and you can end up with a massive sunburn. Well, Grant, thank you very much. All great information. I hope it helps. And that was Grant Johnson from Horizons Unlimited, which is quite literally the hub for adventure motorcyclists looking for travel information. You can find out more about Horizons Unlimited at www.horizonsunlimited.com. And they do the Travelers Meets around the world as well. They do an event called The Hum. Um, the Hum is a, sort of a competitive off-road navigation challenge, which is becoming extremely popular. And they have events coming up in the Appalachians in the U.S. and I think the Monashies in Canada this summer. So drop by the website, I believe, the website is www.horizonsunlimited.com forward slash hum. We're going to take a 40 second break and be right back with Jacques Lukinson talking about riding in the cold. Stay with us. Scott Wright is the owner of IMS Products, and Scott himself is a, a serious rider, racer too. As a matter of fact, he's a former Baja 1000 winner. And Scott stands behind his foot pegs that are made for adventure riders. 
IMS Products is a household name in the racing scene. They're known for their fueling systems and their shift levers, and now for a range of some really nice foot pegs. I was talking with Scott a few weeks back, and he was telling me just what goes into the design of the foot pegs. And we talked about different things like the design of the teeth and the design of even the angles of the undercut on the underside is meant so that it doesn't hold mud in there, so that the mud actually drops out. It's called a watershed design. But he said that they even test them by crushing them in a press to the point where the inner parts of the peg were touching. And when they released it, there was no damage except for the mark where the two sides contacted. Now, of course, you and I will never do that to our foot pegs. We'll never put them to that kind of abuse. But it does say something about the the IMS dedication to quality. I mean, I, re- I really like that. These are CAS certified 17.4 stainless steel foot pegs that not only look great, but for me, and I'm, I have them on my bike, they've done a lot for the feeling and handling of the bike. It's, it's incredible. So made in the USA with a lifetime warranty, www.imsproducts.com. Drop by the website, have a look at the pegs, and make sure you tell them you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. Jacques Lucasen is a Dutch long-distance motorcycle rider and author. He has ridden the world on a Yamaha R1, again proving the point that any bike you love is the right bike for you. Jacques is now prepping for his latest extreme adventure, riding his beloved R1 to the North Pole. Here Jacques will share some of his tips for dealing with cold weather on a motorcycle. Jacques, welcome back to Adventure Rider Radio. Yeah, good uh, evening or evening here. I don't know uh, what the, the, the it is in Canada. I'm on the west coast of Canada, and it is a gorgeous, I mean, a, a top-notch day today. It was right from the get-go. It was hot. You could sit outside and, and have coffee on the porch. The sun is shining. It's, it's like your picture-perfect summer day. This is the stuff you see on all the postcards and posters. Okay. Well, we have beautiful over here, too, and... Uh, coming out of the winter, that's always good. Yeah, definitely. And you're from the Netherlands. Yes. What's the winter like in the Netherlands? Um, we have uh, very little snow, but we have very humid uh, winters. Uh, windy. Uh, it, it's a nasty wind, uh, a nasty cold. Uh, when people say, "Oh, we have winters here with minus 20," and then and then they come over here in the Netherlands where it's not even zero, they have it cold because of it's a nasty cold. So, uh, but not where we don't have much snow normally. Uh, it depends. Your favorite country to ride in? I saw your list of favorites there on the website. Your favorite country to ride in is Russia. Why is that? Is that because of the cold? Uh, no, not because it's cold. I call it unspoiled traveler's country. And even the Russians have no idea what's there 200 kilometers further on. And uh, on top of that, the very uh, hospitable people, they will give the last money to feed you uh, if they can help you. It's absolutely not what you see the Russians on the picture because they always become like, uh, yeah, I don't know, uh, they don't like they're that friendly then, but they are really, really friendly, helpful. And uh, it's a huge country once you're in it. Uh, you can travel for a while. So your your first big trip that you did, I know you're, you're not going to call this a big trip, but that half-year trip that you did on your CBR 900RR Fireblade, can you talk about that? Uh, yeah, that was in, uh, in the beginning of the 90s. Uh, my um, uh, motorcycle vacations in Europe 
they were never long enough and I always dreamed from Australia. So I decided to send my bike to Australia and rode around there for four and a half months, 38,000 kilometers. Then flew it back and went as a backpacker to uh, Indonesia. And Indonesia, that was lovely, but I missed my wheels. And during that time, I I decided I'm going to do once in my life a, a world trip. And I found out that I... Uh, although I had never been outside of Europe, that I would have no problems with borders, and I thought oh, I, would, I would get through there. And uh, by that time, I uh, I spoke some English, so that makes it easier too. And uh, when I got back <coughs> in the Netherlands, I uh, I started saving money again and uh, working on it, dreaming on it. I'm a big dreamer, but I try to fulfill my dreams. And then in uh, the beginning of 95, I left for a trip, which I called to the other end of the world and back. <laughs> and I went from uh, the Netherlands through Russia, Japan, and uh, the whole Asian countries again, uh, of uh, the whole Asian countries to uh, New Ze- uh, Australia and New Zealand. And then all the way back till I got in, um, in Egypt. And then my last country that I had in mind uh, was finished. But I didn't want to go home, and I found a guy who was on his way to South Africa, and I thought, hey, that sounds nice. So I continued to South Africa, and there the trip actually ended. I flew the bike back to Europe and and, uh, rode the last bit home, and that lasted uh, three years, that trip, and 160,000 kilometers. And this is all on a Yamaha R1. No, no, that was on the the same Fireblade. Oh, that was on the Fireblade. Oh, wow. That was on. That was all on the same firebase. So I did the first trip in uh, in Australia, uh, which was only only six months. I was gone, and then I did the three years trip on the fireblade, and then I, a couple of years later in 2001, I started the trip on the R1, and that lasted five years and five months and 250,000 kilometers. Right, 155 miles and 77 countries you did on that. That's a so I know I've asked you this before, but for those who don't know your story, why do you ride the Yamaha R1? Uh, I ride the bikes of my heart. I find that more important than the right bike for the terrain. And if you don't care what bike you take, you should take an old road or something like that. But if you do, take the bike of your heart because if your heart is in it, you will succeed in anything. Now, you're just getting ready to do a, a pretty massive undertaking going to the Arctic on an R1. Yeah, yeah, well, it's uh, it's an R1-based. Uh, the last uh, th- um, thing I did, uh, bigger thing I did, that was on the, on the, my polar ice ride R1, that's how I call it. That is still an R1, which is just modified. But I'm now... Uh, using an R1 as a donor bike and uh, build it up from uh, actually only the frame and the engine and the tank and build it up from there, capable of riding on, on the Arctic ice. When I was there in 2013, I I found things that worked and I found things that didn't work. And now I'm going to build a bike that is able to do it when the ice is still there. Well, you're probably... Uh, the most experienced cold weather rider in the world, very likely. And, of course, we want to draw from that experience for the average rider 
to, uh, not the extreme record breaker, but the average rider to make cold weather riding sort of more efficient, safer, if not even better. So what I want to talk about is, is cold weather riding, of course. And I guess what yeah. we should start off with is, is the rider itself, you know, us as riders, how do we get prepared for it as far as clothing, etc.? What would be first on your list anyway? Well, first, I want to give a comment on that I will be the most experienced uh, or one of them uh, riders in the cold because I, I don't think I am. Uh, definitely not in, 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 uh, in mileage. Uh, I've done some crazy things uh, in the cold and have lots of different experiences. But uh, I'm sure there are a lot of people out there who, who ride their whole life during the winter. And I think they are also very, very experienced. Okay. But uh, to get back on my story, what would be the first thing um, that's so long ago that I can't remember? Uh, you build things up. Uh, you start riding in, in a little bit of cold and then more cold. And then you, you get extreme road conditions which is Canada more likely to get than the Netherlands. Uh, so I only got extreme road conditions when I go outside of the Netherlands. What, what are you wearing for clothing? I have, I've, of course, thermal underwear. I have heated clothing. I have wind stoppers. I have uh, a, a warm motorcycle uh, outfit from Lookwell. And I had a Lookwell, uh, especially by Lookwell made, the winter overall. And it was mainly a combination of those uh, that I was wearing, uh, never all. Now, what about for your helmet? Um, are there any modifications you make to a helmet to ride in cold weather? I have different experiences with helmet. I had the, the, the regular Arai helmet, and they do have a heated visor, which they um, made for the Formal One racing car. And the, the same system is now also in, in different helmets, so for, for, for heating. Uh, I had, uh, I bought a, a snowmobile helmet in Alaska in 2013 when I was riding on the polar ice there north of, uh, of Alaska. What about the bike itself? Now, just, I'm talking for the average rider, not for your extreme rides, for instance, but for the average rider, are there some considerations or some tips that you would give to the average rider and say, you should do this before you head out in some cold weather? Yeah, uh, handlebar cuffs, they're worth gold. Mm. And, and you, you're talking the ones that wrap right around. Uh, yeah, but um, you should be take care that, you, that they sit good, that you can put your hands in and out very easy. Um, so uh, if, if they fold and you have your hand out uh, because whatever you have to do and then you have to reach for your handlebars, make sure you can uh, reach them easy. But they're absolutely worth gold. Uh, a lot of people, uh, they say, oh, you must have handlebar heating. And then they start already laughing because they assume you have. But I don't. Uh, in the extreme cold, if it's a little bit cold, handlebar heating is great. But in the extreme cold, handlebar heating is a loss of heat. Because you don't get it directly on your hand. And that's where you want them. Because you... Uh, you're heating your glove from the outside and you want to heat on the inside. Right. So if, if you want to save on, uh, on electricity, uh, get the heated gloves instead of handlebar heat. There's nothing wrong with handlebar heating, but I mean, if, if you're riding the extreme cold, it, it would be a loss of heat. 
Are there some lessons that you learned doing extreme cold weather riding that would sort of apply to the average rider riding in cooler weather? Not exactly to the clothing, more to the to the riding. Okay. So and, uh, and, you're talking and riding I, style, like a, the, the way you ride the bike? Well, are we talking now about uh, cold weather with snow and uh, icy roads or just cold? Well, we're talking about both, really, about, about dealing with colder weather. So most people are not going to head out in snow and ice, of course, and I would never encourage anyone to do that. But for those who like to push it, you know, and, and into the colder temperatures and those who like to ride even year round, it doesn't have to be freezing cold to be cold. And, and of course, that's where I was hoping yeah. that those tips from you who was riding in Arctic, yeah. you know, that's or, or Alaska weather that can be sort of applied in somebody in, in probably a lesser climate, less cold climate. Well, uh, if you seal off your body for the outside, you always stay uh, warmer. And uh, uh, even if you don't have the best gloves, if you put on an extra jumper, your, your body stays warmer and will send more heat to your hands and feet. So you can save them, you can save them there uh, or, or gain that way. Well, it's also important that is that you try to get as relaxed as possible on your motorcycle. And everybody knows it when, when they have you haven't ridden for a long time. You are you are less relaxed. You sit more, uh, well, less relaxed on the motorcycle, and your hands become numb or, or stiff. And uh, that is the same what happens on in the cold, and but even far worse. So the more relaxed you sit on a motorcycle, the less cold you will get. And the more warmth will flow to your hands and feet. You can also try to regulate that with, with your breathing as well, by breathing really, really slowly and relaxed. And you will, will, you will feel that you get a little less cold. You feel, it feels just better. I ride with a two-piece suit, but uh, I don't know how you say that in English, but I had a little piece made on the pants. So it, it has, uh, so my back will be absolutely catching no wind there. And then I have an overall which goes over it and then it seals it off and then you feel no cold at all for sure. But the overall is only when it's really, really cold. Now, what about riding style? What do you change in the way you ride when it gets into colder weather? In the colder weather, well, I never ride uh, quick then in the colder weather because that makes a big difference. Quick riding makes you cold. And other than that, uh, for me, uh, the cold weather is mainly also uh, slippery underground or snow and ice. And then uh, that's another reason to uh, to ride uh, slow. Uh, but uh, if if it is dangerous on the road, you should also maintain a kind of a, a minimum speed, or at least try to. And uh, because and and that also depends again on how much traffic there is and what type of traffic are these trucks that are passing full blast, like they do in in Norway. Uh, or is this uh, normal uh, traffic? So you should, I, I try to, uh, when I was in Alaska and in Canada, I tried to ride around 70 kilometers an hour. 
over the snow-covered uh, roads, and no more than 85, 90 on the on the blank town. I um, I want to give another good tip. Uh, I use the best grip studs, and if you are if you're not a snow rider or uh, on frozen roads, but you want to ride the winter, uh, every now and then it happens, black ice. And if you put, let's say, 10 or 12 or 13 studs in the middle of your tire, uh, you hardly feel them or you don't feel them. But when you uh, get to a, a stretch of black ice, you get just enough grip to stay straight. You can leave those studs in uh, the whole winter. Uh, depends how much kilometers uh, you uh, you ride. When I came off the polar ice in 2013, I ended up on the tarmac much earlier as expected because there was not much snow that winter. And I had a front tire which was specially made for, for the polar ice, uh, the tread. And I was told the tread will not last longer than 1,000 kilometers on asphalt. And I had to ride something like 7,000 or 8,000 kilometers on the asphalt with it. So I left the studs in. I left it full studded and rode all the way down to Key West in Florida with it. I was probably the first one who came down in Florida on studs. <laughs> and the tire was still perfect and the studs were still okay. So the studs aren't slippery on the road, as you're, like if there's no snow? Uh, there were so many studs in that they were. <laughs> um, I, I was just braking slowly and uh, I was I, I, pulling a trailer then. So I, I was heavy anyway and I, I stopped myself mainly with the rear brake of the trailer. But um, uh, studs will be slippery, especially if you ride like you normally ride. You see, and that's what I don't do uh, the, when I'm in, in the cold weather. I, don't go for corners. Uh, I take it all and everywhere. Because if you uh, if you fall, if you fall on the snow, snow and, uh, and and sand have lots in common. But if you fall down, uh, snow is much harder than the, than the sand because there's road underneath it. So everything, pulling away, braking, all that stuff, everything's done super smooth. Yes, yes. Right. Controlling, everything controlled. Yes. Okay, Jacques, thank you very much. You're welcome. And I've been speaking with Jacques Lucasen, who, as, as I said before, is prepping for his bid to the North Pole on a heavily modified Yamaha R1. You can find out more about Jacques from his website, www.jacqueslucasen.nl. And of course, that link will be in our show notes. Max BMW Motorcycles has been outfitting adventure riders since 2002. 45,000 parts and accessories available online and ready to ship to your door at maxbmw.com. And you can sign up for their e-rider newsletter too. It's free. maxbmw.com. That's maxbmw.com. Best Rest Products is home of the Cycle Pump Tire Inflator, Tire Iron Bead Breaker, Easy Air Tire Gauge, and other adventure motorcycle gear. Whether you're on the road or off the road, you'll want a compact and reliable tire inflation method. And the Cycle Pump runs right off your bike's electrical system. It'll fill your flat tire in less than three minutes. It's the one we use here at Adventure Rider Radio. It's made in the USA, and it comes with a lifetime warranty. www.cyclepump.com. That's www.cyclepump.com. 
Green Chili Adventure Gear offers American-made, heavy-duty, innovative luggage systems for all types of motorcycles. Turn any dry bag into motorcycle luggage using their unique strapping system. And of course, Green Chili Adventure Gear is all tested in extreme weather and terrain to withstand the abuse of adventure riding. And that has gained them a top reputation for tough, reliable gear. www.greenchiliadv.com That's www.greenchiliadv.com The MotoBreeze chain oiler is powered by wind pressure that automatically adjusts for speed. No electrical or vacuum connections. It delivers oil to your chain with a felt pad that's mounted on your swing arm, which eliminates the problems of exposed nozzles near your sprockets. Get more miles from your chain and sprockets and forget about the messy spray oil. www.motobreeze.com That's two eyes in there. www.motobreeze.com Well, that about wraps up another episode of Adventure Rider Radio, and we sure hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we did making it. Special thanks to our producer, Elizabeth Martin, and to you, of course, the listener. Thank you very much. If you'd like to help the show out, drop by our website, www.adventureriderradio.com, and click on the donate button. There's a bunch of different ways to donate. Anything $10 or more is going to get you a sticker sent back at you. Anything $50 or more is going to get you a mention on our Raw show. So drop by, some neat things to do, and we really appreciate your support. Also, you can download all of our episodes for free for both this show and ARR Raw. Remember, ARR Raw is a separate show. It's done a little differently. Roundtable discussions with a group of us who talk about motorcycle travel. All good, fun stuff, at least in my opinion anyway. (laughs) Thanks very much for listening. My name is Jim Martin. See you next week. This is Bernard Smith from worldtour.org.uk. You are listening to Adventure Rider Radio. (laughs) 